Join me, follow along as we read. We're going to actually just deal with verses 6 and 7, but I'm going to go back to chapter 2, verse 1. Um, and here's what it says. For I want you to know uh, what a great conflict I have for you and for those who are in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be encouraged, knit together uh, in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding and to the knowledge of both the of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Amen. He equates the two there. In whom, in Christ, are hidden how much church? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, which was happening in this church, wasn't it? For though I am absent with, in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And that's where we ended last week. We're going to pick up these two verses and expound on them this week. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, look at this, abounding with what, church? Thanksgiving. Abounding with thanksgiving. Amen. There is an inscription on the cathedral in Lubbock, Germany. It's a strange inscription, but it says this, Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. Ye call me Master, and obey me not. Ye call me Light, and see me not. Ye call me Way, and walk me not. Ye call me Life, and desire me not. Ye call me Wise, and follow me not. Ye call me Fair, and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. And you call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Strong words, to be sure. And I'm going to deal with that today, with those words today, um, beginning in verse number 6. In 6 and 7, there are two main points that comprise one vital comparison. And that's why at the beginning, I've, I just entitled this a really, probably not a great title. You'll have to forgive me. But I've entitled this sermon, um, As and So. That's the two main words. That's his two main points in here. As you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, what? So walk in him. So I want to talk about as and so. So let's begin with as, as right there. And this is number point number one, and it is the who. Who are we dealing with? Now you're going to, those of you that are paying attention are going to immediately notice that what I'm doing here is I'm, I'm skipping the first part. There, as you have therefore received. I'm going to catch that next. That's the what. Let me deal with who we're receiving. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. 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 All right. So we're going to deal with the who first. And the who is this. 
And this is interesting. It is the Christ, Jesus, the Lord. And I put the Greek up there, not because any of you can read that, although some of you might be able to. But I want you to notice something. In your Bibles, it says, as you, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, right? But I want you to notice that in the Greek, there's this little word, and it's ton, T-O-N. Ton, Christion, Lesion, Ton, Kurion. That word tone is what we call the definite article, and it's the word T-H-E, the. So not just any Christ, and not just any Lord, but the Christ the one and only one, and the Lord, the one and only one, who happens to be the man, Jesus, from Nazareth. Are you with me? Now, here's what's fascinating to me as I studied this out. This blew my mind. Why we should pay so much attention to this little phrase right here. The Christ Jesus, the Lord, is this. Did you know that this is the only occurrence of this specific name in this order in all of Scripture. And it's no accident. It's no accident. Some have said this became the first creed in the early church, in the first century church. Do you all remember the ichthys, the fish? Um, the symbol of the fish? It just really is just one, one arc this way and the other arc that way. I should have put one on the board, but I did not. Um, the ichthys, it is said that, that Christians would... Uh, when they were beginning to be persecuted, they would go and greet each other outside the market. And in order to find out if you're a Christian, you would just take your sandal and run it through the, through, through the uh, sand like that. And if the person you were talking to completed the fish, you knew that they were a brother or sister in Christ. Later, that tradition became, not much later, um, if they knew they were in safe company, when, when they would do, the, the guy that does the first arc would say, uh, Ton Christion, in other words, the Christ. And the other guy would finish it and say, Jesus, the Lord. So they would take this early creed, the Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Now your Bible just says Christ Jesus, but that definite article is in there. And there's a reason for it. There are many Christs, aren't there? There are many Messiahs. And any Messiah outside of the Messiah is an anti-Messiah, is an anti-Christ. Okay? And I know some people get really excited about, oh, who's the anti-Christ? Is he alive today? And let me settle that for you. Yes, he is. You said, you know about prophecy? No. You know who the anti-Christ is? The biggest anti-Christ that you need to worry about is you. Because there are some in this room today that think that you are your own Messiah. That you are the answer to your life's problems. And even those who have called upon the name of Christ and are his own sometimes forget whose they are and think that they are their own answer. They are their own way out. But this word Christ is a beautiful name. It is a title. Did you all realize that? Christ is a title. It wasn't Jesus' name. Jesus was his name. Christ was his title. And it's an old title. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where this whole idea of, of this Messiah comes from. That the woman would, woman would produce, from the seed of the woman would come this man who would, who would crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah, it goes back to the beginning of human history, this concept, this idea. And Israel was constantly looking for her Messiah. But for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> just like you and I 
do so often. And how many of you are glad in here? You might look to him for the wrong reasons, but God can save you anyway. Amen? Aren't we glad for that this morning? He is the Christ, the Messiah. That word Messiah or Christ literally means the anointed one. In other words, there is one person that was coming in all of human history. And all throughout the Old Testament, this Messiah, this one specific anointed one, is declared. He's going to come and he's going to be the answer for our greatest need. And the fact that there's that definite article in there, the indicates that Jesus was that specific Messiah and there's none other like him. Amen? But then, it's not just the Messiah, it's the Christ, and then it's what? Jesus. Now, Jesus is the man. That's the human name of the Messiah. And the Messiah is his title, Jesus is his name. Why does he have a name? Because he's a man. He's truly man and truly God. Jesus, the man, it's Jesus of Nazareth. The name of the Messiah and Lord is Jesus. So it, it could be read like this. The Messiah, or the Christ, who is Jesus, the Lord. All right? So we have, we have this title of this messianic title, the anointed one. He's the one that's been talked about since Genesis chapter 3. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and he's here. And then he has the name Jesus. Now, that's what the Gentiles call him. The reason it's Jesus in Colossians is because Paul was a missionary to who? The Gentiles. The Hebrew or Jewish people would have called that very same name Yeshua, which sounds a lot like Joshua because that is also the English derivative of that name. And, and you know what the word Joshua Yeshua or Jesus means? Do y'all even know what that means? It means your rescuer. One who comes to rescue, to save, to snatch out of danger and trouble. So he is our rescuer. That's what he came to do. But then I want you to notice also, it's not just the Christ, it's not just Jesus, it's what? It's the Lord. The Lord. And it's that, it's that, it's that definite article. The, not just any master, not just any king, not just any ruler, the Lord, the master, the king. It, this talks about the authority. He's the king. He's the master. This is interesting. It encapsulates this very, just this word, this, this, this uh, uh, job of his as Lord, this, this, um, uh, just stating who he is. It encapsulates all that Paul has declared about Jesus in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, which, by the way, was an early church hymn. They, it's one of the earliest hymns we have recorded in the Bible in the, new, in the first century. It literally says that Jesus, the Lord, he is the sovereign, he is the owner, he is the controller of what church? Absolutely everything. And it's been said before, if he's not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. And I assure you, he is Lord of all. So we have this title. You say, so what? So we have the Christ who is Jesus, the Lord. You've heard that before. You've heard Lord Jesus Christ or, you know. Okay, Pastor, so what's the big, why are you so excited about this? Because we got to understand the historical context of this letter. As you know, there was this Corinthian heresy that was being fausted upon the church. So Paul appears to address 
the two forms of heresy in the person of Jesus Christ. First, he uses, he uses the word Jesus, and that indicates his humanity. And that, fl that flew in the face of something that came to be called docetism. Um, and it's the heresy that, listen to this now, this is, what this is what was creeping into this church. That Christ's human body was an illusion, wasn't real. And his death was a dramatic appearance. That's what dokeo, where they get docetism from, means to appear. His, his death was a dramatic appearance. And here's what they said. This, this is amazing heresy that's on the screen right here. If he suffered, he was not God. And if he was God, he did not suffer. Right? So, so and docetism was popular among the Greeks since it dismissed Christ's body and helped remove the scandal of the Hellenistic or the Greek thinkers dealing with the incarnation. The, the idea of God becoming man was a scandalous thought to the enlightened Greek. And so this was a great heresy. It worked. It let them, it let them become Christians while still holding that uh, Jesus wasn't really a man. First century heresy. And the other one, the second, is the identification of Christ or the Messiah uh, with the historical Jesus. And it countered the heresy called Corinthianism. Now that doesn't come from Corinth. It comes from a guy named uh, uh, Corinthus. And that separated Jesus, the man, from the Christ. So it's kind of the opposite of docetism. And here's what that taught. Corinthus taught that Jesus, that, or excuse me, Corinthus taught that the Christ, the Messiah spirit, came on the man Jesus, um, the son of Joseph and Mary, at his baptism. So he wasn't the Messiah until he was baptized. So the spirit of Messiah comes upon him at his baptism, and it empowers him for his ministry, thus all the miracles you see and whatnot. But it left him before his crucifixion. So when he died, he died as an ordinary man. Thus Corinthus taught the heresy that the only man Jesus died, um, that only the man Jesus died and rose again, rejecting the doctrine of the incarnation and negating the Christian teaching of atonement, the atonement. Jesus couldn't have died in our place. So here's Paul's point as he uses this little phrase, the Christ, Jesus, who is the Lord. Here's his point is that the Colossians had received who? The Christ, who is Jesus, the Lord. And that, would re, that they would remain safe from any spiritual seduction or this apostasy if, and this is the big if, if they continue to walk in submission to him. What's that got to do with us? Well, those same forces are vying for our attention. Do you know who also agrees with the, with the, uh, the Corinthian heresy? The Muslims. They believe the same thing. That the spirit of Messiah came on him. He became God in the flesh, but... God swapped him out with a, with a double on the cross because he could never let his son suffer like that. And it, and it negates the atonement. And that's a good thing because in Islam, you have to work for everything. And if the atonement was real, all of the work would be done and that would be a problem in that theology. Do you see it? I said this week in our small group, whenever any organization attempts to un-God Christ, 
The reason they un-God Jesus Christ is so they remove his work so they can replace it with your work. And we need that today. That's the reason the major cults are cults is because they have a defective doctrines when it comes to the Christ Jesus who is the Lord. The Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian science, science, etc., they say, like the Gnostics, that they believe in Christ, but what we need to be asking is, what kind of Christ? Because I assure you, the Christ of Mormonism, the Christ of, of, of um, Christian science, and the Christ of the Jehovah's Witnesses is not the Christ of the 66 books of Scripture. They are a different Jesus. So, this was a safeguard to these Colossian believers against this bowing before the Christ Jesus, the Lord, and to remind them that Jesus, because of who he is, took care of everything that they need. So that's the who. It's Jesus. He is the Lord. And he is the Christ, the anointed one. Now let's look at the what. And that's the beginning of the first verse. Um, and notice what it says in your scriptures in verse number six. As, there's, we're still under the as, as you received, who? Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So it's this idea of receipt. As you therefore receive the Messiah, who is Jesus, my rescuer, my master. That word received is really important. Um, it's, it comes from a word, two-part word that means beside and to receive, to receive beside. And it means to receive from um, and to embrace, to welcome, to take alongside of into close association. So there's two basic ideas with this word, word paralambaro, is, is this, to take or to receive. Now, I don't want to get too far into the Greek because it's not necessary, but it, it is a little bit helpful here. It's in the aorist, um, it's in the aorist voice, and here's why that's important. The aorist is, is this. I'm going to just read a definition to you. It's the effective action, successful action, one-time single action, that happened in the past. It states that an action occurred without regard to its duration. It happened. It is analogous to a snapshot, which captures an action at the specific point in time. You, you, you understand me? It's like a picture that happened in the past. We got a picture of it. We know something happened. Now, this is interesting. It's in the indicative mood and the aorist tense, and that can indicate what they call particular action. In other words, it happened at a specific point in time in the past. You say, what's that got to do with anything? Everything. At a specific point in time in the past, Paul is saying these Colossian believers welcomed into their life the Lord, the, the Christ, who is Jesus the Lord. They welcomed that Messiah. They welcomed him as their rescuer, and they took him as their Lord, their master, and their king. Are you with me? It is, he said, you can go back to, you don't have a picture of it per se, but it is something that you have in your mind, and you remember welcoming Jesus Christ as your Messiah, your anointed one, sent from God just for you. He is your rescuer, and he is your master. You, he, he, he just owned it all. He, you, you gave it all up. And you received him by faith and repentance. And Paul's saying, you remember that. The same word, the same Greek word is found in John 14, 3, where Jesus said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, what? 
I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. That's the word receive. Jesus is Jesus going to he's going to come back and get us, right? That's what that means. He's going to receive us to himself. It's also the same word that is used in Galatians 9, 1, verse 9 and 12. Jot that reference down. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to what you received, there's the same word, let him be accursed. Verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus the Christ. What's that mean? It means Paul took it to himself and it became real. You might be interested to note that this very same word is used 22 times in the Old Testament and 49 times in the New. That's a lot. 49 times. It's the same verb that the Lord used to encourage Joseph to receive Mary after her conception. And by the way, we wink at that. That was a big deal. So really, be, how would, what would you think if your girlfriend came up to you and said, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant and God's the father. Come on now, really. Take the Bible glasses off. Get the Hallmark Christmas card out of your head. Really? Yeah, okay, Mary. Yeah, I got that. And what happened? The angel comes, God comes to him in a dream through the angel and says, hey, she's telling the truth. You need to receive her to yourself. You need to take Mary as your wife, Matthew 1.20. And then his response in 1.24, and Joseph took her as his wife. He, re he received her as his own wife. Um, it's also used in John chapter 1, unfortunately. In verse 12, he says, And he came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. He came to the Jewish people who were looking for the Messiah. By the way, you know what the number one most popular name for boys was in Jesus' day? Joshua or Yeshua. Because they were looking for the Messiah. They wanted someone to rescue them. And so he comes and they said, yeah, it can't be you. <laughs> he fulfills all of the prophecies of the Old Testament with which they were very familiar. He's like, yeah, it can't be you. We're looking for somebody else. And you know what the sad truth is today? They're still looking for somebody else. So here's the question on the screen. It's such an important question. And I want to just say this so clearly. This is so heavy on my heart today. Have you welcomed, have you received the anointed rescuing master? That's literally the title of Jesus, his full name, his title and his name. Have you received into your life the, the, the anointed rescuing master who is Jesus? Have you welcomed him into your life? Spurgeon put it this way. He said this, suppose that you should go to a baker's window and stand there for an hour and stare at the bread. I'm, on, I'm back on my keto eating plan. I may or may not have actually done this, <laughs> staring at bread. Those of you who have been on keto will know what I mean. I do not think that the sight would fill you much, and it doesn't. Nope. You must eat, or else there might be tons of bread within reach. And yet, you would die of famine. Right? 
You might be buried in a grave of bread and it would be of no use to you. Even manna would not nourish you unless you ate it. Now listen to his point. You must therefore receive food into yourself or it is no food to you. You with me? You with Spurgeon? Then he says this. Here's his point. The Savior himself, if you do not receive him by faith, listen, will be no Savior to you. He will be no Savior to you. Let me show you a, an illustration of this. Something of the aorist tense here. It will come up on the screen in the form of a picture. That was 30 plus years ago. I can't do the math real fast in my head. 32. It'll be 33 this year. Years ago, when I received my wife into my life and she received me into hers. And there's a picture of that. One of my kids said, boy, Dad, you really laid a kiss on her. I said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. <laughs> Amen. And I've tried to practice that our, our whole marriage. And eight children later, I've been fairly successful. Uh, but what is that? That is a picture in the AORs. They say, hey, that happened. That happened. I got pictures. I have a ring. When Paul was little, he used to say he was going to marry Elizabeth when he, when he grows up. Jack's been saying that too. And I remember telling little Paul, I was young and didn't know anything about kids and how concrete little ones think. And I said, you can't marry her. He said, why can't I? I said, because I'm married to her. I said, you see that ring right there? That ring says that I'm married to mom and she can't marry anyone else. And he took my hand, he looked at that ring and he got real close and he went like this and he said, that ring ain't saying nothing. <laughs> Right, because he's concrete. Uh, I, I, I didn't understand that back then. But that ring does say something. Because here's the deal. In 32 years, listen to me, listen to me. In 32 years, I have never awoken in the morning and thought to myself, you know what, I'm not sure I'm married. Am I married or am I not married? I don't, I don't think I'm married. Have any of you that are married ever awoken in the morning and, thought, and wondered to yourself if you were married? Why? Why don't we wonder if we were ever married? Because there's pictures. Because we were there. And you'll never forget it. Can I ask you something? This is so heavy on my heart this morning. Have you welcomed Jesus into your life? You say, well, I think so. No! No, you don't think so. You haven't always loved God. I hear that all the time. No, you haven't. It's like waking up and thinking, I don't know if I'm married or not. If you're married, you know you're married because you can go back to the event when it happened, when you said, I do, she said, I do, and you kissed her well at the altar. Don't sit there and tell me that, oh yeah, I think I'm a Christian. I think I've invited Jesus. If you don't remember, you haven't done it. And you are dead in your sins this morning. You're in chair one, for those of you that remember that sermon. And you need to repent and believe and put your faith in the Christ who is Jesus, who is your Lord. 
You need to turn away from your confusion and your sin. Listen to me. And you need to welcome Christ into your... You need to receive Him through faith and repentance. And you need to do it right now. Don't even wait for the sermon to end. Don't even wait. Receive Him now. Lord Jesus, You are my Messiah. I have been waiting for You. I've been looking for You in all the wrong places. And yet here You are. I don't love You. I haven't always known You. But I want to know You now. I hate my sin and I want to know what it is to love You. I want to receive You into my life. You can do that before I'm done preaching. And if you've never had that experience and you can't go back to that right now in your mind, if you're not thinking of the time that it happened, in the past, right now in your mind, you haven't done it. And you are lost in your sin. And I want to tell you something, it's a big problem. And it's not a big problem for you. It's a big problem because Jesus Christ is worth the honor and glory the rest of your life. And you owe Him that and all the joy that comes with it. Have you welcomed Him? Have you received Him? Paul said to those Colossian believers, hey, you have received Him. You've welcomed Him. Just like getting married. You've welcomed Him into your life. He's welcomed you into His resurrection life. And then we come to the second point. That was the as. Now here's the so. So, because that's true, because you're married to Jesus, you're intricately connected with Jesus in an intimate relationship, more than body to body as in regular marriage, but, but spirit to spirit. Our spirit is united with His spirit. We are one. And by the way, the physical union of husband and wife is a dim picture of the glory of the spiritual union of you and Christ. And if you think the physical is great, you have never experienced the spiritual. It's, it's the... It's the massive, glorious reality of saints who are one with Christ in that intimate relationship. The so is the how. It's the how. So look what he says. As you've received, welcome Christ Jesus the Lord into your life. Look, so in the same way, what? Walk in Him. In the same way, walk in Him. I like to put it this way. This is sanctification. This is walking with Jesus. Sanctification is the what of salvation. It's the result. It's the fruit of the root. The root is welcoming Jesus into your life. The growth and the fruit is the outpouring of that as you walk with Him. And as you continue to give Him your life over and over, remind yourself, my life is yours and yours is mine. And we're going to walk through this life together. And because of that, we're going to walk through eternity together. Is anybody here this morning that's glad that's true? He said, look, because salvation has taken place, because the Messiah has rescued you and he is Lord over all things, so he has the authority to do so. Because of that, you get to walk the same way you received him, by grace through faith. Repenting of your sin, that's the same way that you walk in him every single day. Are we doing that? And so Paul's going to give us here four, uh, really five, because I'm going to back up the verse five just real quick. He's going to give us five metaphors, and there's actually six, but I'm not going back that far. Uh, metaphors or pictures that explains what does it mean to walk in Christ in faith and repenting where we've blown it, turning away from our sin. Now that word walk is important. Um, it, it, it is in the present tense, it said right now, 
and it's active, so it means you're actually doing something. You with me? I feel like I'm teaching my Latin class on Monday. I'll be tomorrow. You're actually doing something right now, but here's the important part. It's in the imperative voice. And the imperative is a command. He's saying, you go, you do this now. You walk in Jesus right now. And you continue to walk. Just like you received him for your salvation, you continue to receive, welcome him into every aspect of your life for your sanctification. As you received him, keep doing it. Keep expressing faith towards Christ and repentance towards your sin. Does that make sense this morning? How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By grace. What's that mean? It's all a gift. What did you do to earn it? Nothing. God gave it to you through faith. That's just believing. It's receiving the person of Jesus, just like that marriage. One of the happiest days of my life, the happiest day of my life, outside of when Christ actually did this for me, is when I got down on one knee and asked Elizabeth to marry me, and she said yes. I said in 32 years, that's the only bad decision I've ever seen her make. It was a glorious time. And also, also, it, she had to take my word for it. I said, I love you. She said, I love you too. But you know what? Until I received her into my life and she received me into her, in front of her father, by the way, who was a minister, and, and until... He pronounced that blessing. And until I kissed her and sealed that deal, it was just talk. It was a concept and an idea. And what's the old saying about talk? Talk is cheap. That's been retrofitted to a song that's probably old by now, but it's, it's called Put a Ring on It. Yeah, if you know that song, yeah, you better put a ring on it. Yeah, you like you love me. Yeah, talk is cheap. Put a ring on it. Give yourself to me, and I'll give myself to you for the rest of our lives. How did you receive him? By grace. It's a gift through faith, believing and receiving that person, just like you receive your spouse. And with repentance. Repentance. Repentance isn't a nasty word. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's expelling sin and embracing Jesus. Because think about it. You're, you're, bringing, you're welcoming Jesus into your life. What is in your life? What kind of life are you welcoming him into? That's why he's got to forgive your sin, because he's not comfortable in a sin-filled life. So he, through his blood, covers and cleans that sin. And then he wants you to continue to trust him. And guess what? You're going to blow it. And when you do, you're going to repent so you can continue to walk with him. Do you see this? And he's saying to these Colossian believers, look, these people are trying to make you jump through all these hoops and saying that this is not enough. I am telling you, this is, he is enough. When you got Jesus, you have everything. Stop listening to these people. Stop trying to add to it. Stop trying to look into these other mysteries. The only mystery is why God even loves you. That's the mystery. And he sent Jesus Christ to prove it. He has unveiled the mystery. There's no more mysteries you need to worry about. You walk in Christ. Continue to walk in Christ. And it's a command. You keep doing this and doing it and doing it. And don't stop. Now this was funny to me. 
when you look up that original word in the Greek, it literally, the, the, the thought is more like this. It's walking around. It's walking around. So it's movement. So a literal translation would be continue walking around him. Continue walking around him. And that verb, it's in the present tense, which means that Paul thinks the Colossians are currently doing this. He just wants them to keep doing it. He said, hey, you're, you're on the right path. They're trying to get you off of that path, but you're walking around Jesus every day of your life. Keep doing that. It's with the simplicity that you received him, and all of it was a gift. That same simplicity, keep doing that every day. Preach the gospel to yourself. How often, church? Daily. And remind yourself. It reminds me of uh, uh, Charles Baker, who used to be one of our dear brothers in the church. He had a daily catechism that he wrote from the scriptures and he would recite to himself. And it reminded him of the grace of God in the gospel and his own personal hatred of his sin and how Jesus paid the price for all that. And he and his wife would read that to each other every single morning before they got out of bed. And it helped that man to continue to walk around Jesus Christ for all of his years until we buried him here and had his service. That needs to be our testimony. How did you receive Jesus? The same way you received him is the same way you walked in him. It's salvation and sanctification. Keep walking around him. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. So real quick, let me give you these metaphors and we're going to be done. The first metaphor is actually found back up in verse number 5. Um, and I'll just read that for you. Verse number 5 says this. Um, Got to find it here. There it is. I rejo rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So this is a military analogy or a military term. Good order. Hey, you know, you think about, you see the pictures of, of our troops marching in order. That always fascinated me how they can do that. Nobody's out of step. They're moving as one person, right? And Paul's saying, this is what you do because all you need is Christ. You guys are moving. I love to see your good order and the fact that you're, the fact that you're steadfast and you're not giving up. I don't know how many of you ever watched the movie The Gladiator, but in, I'll never forget that opening scene in The Gladiator. Here's his handful of troops, and all of the German hordes are coming over the hill, and these guys look scary coming after them. And the, and the, and the Romans had this deal where their, their shields would lock together. They would lock shields together, and they... He, and he, and, and, and the, uh, the hero of the story, he's the general, and he's, he's yelling to them an order, an imperative order. And he, and he says, hold that line. You hold that line. And as these men begin to pile into that line, and it looks like the line is going to break, he is behind them back and forth on the horse, commanding them to hold that line. You hold. You hold. And because those shields were locked together, the power of one man became three. And they repelled this German horde because they held the line. That's steadfastness. And Paul said, that's what I see in you. You continue to hold that line. You knit your hearts together in love. You, 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 you sew your lives together. And when you're down, your brother's going to help you up. And when, when you're up, you're going to help your brother who is down. Does that make sense this morning? Then in verse 7, in verse 7, he talks about agriculture. He says, rooted, rooted. Right? That's a, that's a having been rooted. All right? Then he talks about architecture, built up. That's like building a stone or a brick wall. And then he talks about the legal system, established. I'm going to get into that in just a second. It's beautiful. Uh, I think, you ever had something notarized? 
What is that? That's like saying, okay, it's legit. This person really believes this, and I watch from my own eyes I'm signing. I'm attesting to the truth of this document. That's what that means. And then there's a flood, uh, this super abounding. So let's look at those in turn, and then um, I want to challenge you to do something before we leave today. Let's look at the, the first one, the agriculture. What does it say there in verse number 7? My Bible says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. See, they've been taught that faith. Look, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So the first thing is you're rooted. I meant to put it up on the screen, but time got away from me. But do you remember our, the vision that we have for our church and discipleship? It's root, growth. Uh, it, it's, it's root, growth, fruit. What's the last one? I'm, I'm missing it. Huh? Oh, that's what it is. It's seed first. The seed falls in the ground and dies. That's you coming to Christ. That's chair one, seed. You're not in Christ. You've never received Jesus Christ in your life. But oh, when you do, you fall in the ground and you die, and then the root comes forward. Then that tree grows up, and then it reproduces fruit. This is rooted. Listen, when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, here's what happens. The root of the gospel begins to go down deep where you say, Pastor Paul, where does it go down deep into? It goes down deep into the Word of God. And, 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 and God, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit, grounds you, He roots you, he, put, he gives you some kind of foundation deep into His Word. And you believe what He has said to you in this Word. Are you with me this morning? Um, and here's what's interesting about this. Having been rooted is literally what it means. Now, ours just says rooted, but it's actually the passive perfect tense, which means uh, there's a having been in there. Paul says literally, having been rooted. Here's the cool thing about that. I'm going to show you. This is amazing to me. It's passive. What does passive mean? Everybody listen to me. This is so important. You say, why are you bring up all this grammar? Because it matters in your understanding. Because the verb there is passive, it means simply this. Being rooted is something that has happened to you, not something you do. Did y'all hear that? You don't have to root yourself. Christ Jesus the Lord roots you in himself through his word. What a beautiful thing. This happens to you at a definite time in the past with a continuing effect into the present. You're rooted in Christ. You are rooted in his word. That's the agriculture. Now that now, the architecture, the building, rooted, and then it says, and built up. This has the idea of, of layer upon layer. Y'all ever built a brick wall? I tried to do that in Brazil. I was on a missions trip, construction trip, and uh, the guy said, well, yeah, you can do it. Just let me show you how. And he showed me how to do it, and I went and built two rows, and he came back, and he said, "Now nah, you know what? You'll be better mixing the cement. I did a terrible job then. I messed up. They had to take my wall down. hurt my feelings. But what do you do when you're building a wall? You get the bottom done, and then what? Then you move to the next level. And there's a, but I found out there's a certain way you're supposed to do that. It's like when you're putting down, a, they didn't tell me this, but like when you're putting down a floor, you don't, put your, your, uh, you don't put your boards even because you want your seams to be offset. Well, it's the same thing. With, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the floor and building the wall was the same way. So this idea of this built up, is this layer upon layer upon layer. You're being built up, a brick building. 
And this is interesting. This is the present passive participle. So instead of happening sometime in the past, like the first one, that you were rooted, this one's present. It's happening now. Right now, Paul says, here's what's happening to you, Colossians. Because you're rooted in Christ, you're being built up line upon line, verse upon verse, scripture upon scripture, fellowship upon fellowship. You're being built up into this building. You're being built up something um, that is continuing in effect to today. You're rooted in this and you're built up in this architecture, in, the, uh, in this beautiful present time. It's currently happening, listen to me, to you. Are you building yourself up? No. You are being built up. And I believe that there is this nod here that Paul is saying, how are, how are we built up? Listen to me. I'll tell you exactly how we're built up. We're built up when we do life together. Are you with me? It's the Christian community that causes us to be built up layer upon layer and line upon line. That's why it's so important that you get to those uh, um, DLT groups, that you come early on Sunday morning and get involved in a discipleship group. Why? Because line upon line through this fellowship, you're being built up. That's what was happening with the Colossians. And he says, keep doing it. This is how sanctification works. Then there's the legal system. They're not just built up. He goes on to say this, and established in the faith as you have been taught. Established. It's a legally binding title document attested to and proved to be legitimate. What are we strengthened by? By what we've been taught. Where do we get taught? Right here. We also get taught when we take this message home and apply it to our lives. That's what DLT groups are all about. Applying the message. When's the last time you learned anything interesting about God? Probably when you're out there being tested and you found God's word could be trusted. It's the Christian experience. And, and Paul says, you guys are doing the right thing. You have Jesus and he's all you need. And the world around you is attesting to that. These people are trying to come in and steal you away from Jesus. And you're not budging. You have been stamped approved. You're the real deal. And don't ever walk away from that. This is having our spiritual and relational muscles exercise in relation to God. They are worked out. They are exercised. And again, this is also passive. It's not something you do. It's something that's happening to you. You are being established. Now, how many can you say right there, time out? Do you feel like you're being established in the faith? Do you feel like you're being strengthened? Do you feel like through the life's experiences that you're having, like even like last week, that, th that life's experiences say, hey, stamp of approval, not what you did, but look what, look what Jesus did in your life. Look what he did to you in that situation. You're approved. You're legitimate. And that's what he's telling these Colossians. Don't let them tell you otherwise. And then this last one is really interesting. It's a flood. It's a flood. He says in there, in this last part, you're established in the faith as you've been taught. Now look at this. Look what happens. What's that word? Abounding in it with what, church? You got your Bibles open? Colossians 2, verse 7. Abounding in it, what? In the faith with what? Thanksgiving or gratitude. 
Now, this is a flood. Now, that word in there is literally super abounding. Like when a, uh, when a river overflows its banks. Y'all ever seen that? We grew up early part of my life across from the Connecticut River. Remember that, Mom? Uh, in Warehouse Point. South Water Street. Why do I remember all that? But, but the Connecticut River is a big river. And this house that we had rented had three stories, which we thought was super cool. Um, it had a basement, it had a main floor, it had an upstairs, and then it had the upstairs upstairs. It was like another set of stairs that went up to this little room at the top. And uh, we noticed up there at this little room at the top one time that right about two feet up the wall, you could see some stains on the wall. And I'm talking, this was high up. And I remember asking Dad one day, what, what, those, what are those stains? He said, that's from the flood that happened a few years ago. I said, Daddy, you mean the water from that river came all the way up this high? He said, it sure did. It overflowed the banks. That scared me to death. Right? An overflowing river. Just there's so much water that the banks can't hold it. And what does it do? It explodes all over the place and the water just spreads all over. What is Paul saying? He's saying, you, you should explode in what? Thanksgiving. You should explode in gratitude that you can't even help it. It just bursts like throwing up. I hate throwing up. But how many of you know there's a time that throwing up is necessary? And how many of you know that there's a time that you don't even have no choice about throwing up? Now, if I got a choice, my wife will attest to this. I could lay real still. The only time in the world I'm ever still is when I'm nauseous. I won't move. You'll think I'm dead. I won't move. I will fight throwing up. My mama said I used to fight throwing up as a baby. Then she had my sister who apparently enjoyed throwing up. She threw up all the time. I hate throwing up. And I know if I get real still and don't move and close my eyes, sometimes I can make it pass. But how many of you know there's times that you're going to throw up? <laughs> there ain't no stopping that. Right? That's what this is. Right? You know it's coming. It's just a matter of what direction. Right? Get that head in the right spot because it's coming. <laughs> right? Hey, that's what Paul's talking about here. Your, hey, Colossians, your life should explode in gratitude to God. You should just overflow. It's just like when you're going to throw up and there's no stopping it, there's no stopping this gratitude. You're overwhelmed. You're thankful. And it's all coming out. A guy named... Um, Craig Barnes wrote a book called The Pastor as Minor Poet. And it's, it's about describing a role as a shepherd in a church. and You know, the unique experiences of being a pastor. And he talked about interacting with his parishioners. And he made this comment. I thought it was pretty good. I want to share it with you. Here's what he said. I'm not certain that there are such things as measures of our spirituality. But if there are, then gratitude is probably the best one. It means that we are paying attention. Isn't that true? Now here's the thing that blew my mind about, the two things blew my mind about this idea, and then, then I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. The first thing is that this outpour, this explosion, this Thanksgiving explosion, is mentioned seven times in the four chapters of this little letter. You think it's a theme? Paul's saying the reason, the only thing these people got on you is if you, if you get unthankful. 
The only way these people are going to pull you away from Jesus Christ is if they convince you that God's holding out on you. You cease to be thankful and you chase something that isn't Jesus because you have everything you need when you have Jesus. Right? And Paul says, let me tell you what the, the best thing you can do to keep from that from happening, be thankful. Be thankful. Know who you are. Know what Jesus did and believe this word from me that Christ is all you need. And here's the other thing that just excites me to no end. Remember all those other three verbs are passive. There are things that happen to you. This is the only active verb in this verse. It's active. It says you do this. You be thankful. Jesus does the rooting. Jesus does the building. And Jesus does the strengthening. He only asked me to do the thanking. And why is that so hard for us to do? The reason you're not thankful is twofold. One, you have not yet received Christ. You really haven't. You might be a quote-unquote good person. But you haven't received Christ. You've either received Him or you haven't. There's no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. You're pregnant or you're not. You're in Christ or you're not. He's in you or He is not. Now, one of the reasons you won't be thankful is because you're not His and none of this applies to you. But the other reason is you've forgotten a lot. You've forgotten a lot. Can I ask you a question, those of you who are? Do remember when you welcomed Jesus? And I mean this, and I don't mean this as a slam or, or hurt your feelings. When was the last time that tears filled your eyes as you remembered your salvation? When was the last time that you couldn't hold the tears back when you pondered what has been done for you? Monday night, I had to cover Paul's group. We're getting ready to start, and this young man walks in. His name was Cade. And he, was, he does construction work. And he was here on a job at an, Air, in an Airbnb here in Wildwood. And he, and he saw the sign. Hopefully Linda's watching that sign ministry is important. He saw the sign about Bible study, so he popped in. We had a wonderful time together discussing God. You were there. Wasn't he a neat guy? He came back Tuesday night. We did it all over again. And then Wednesday, I call him up. He was wanting to go fishing, but they wouldn't let him fish because he's not a resident. I said, well, I'm a resident. So Wednesday, after he got off of work, I, I took him fishing in my boat. And then when we were done fishing, I said, have you had supper? He said, no. I said, come to my house. Come eat supper with me. They came to our house, had dinner with us. And as I spoke with him on that boat about his salvation, this 20-year-old young man, tears filled his eyes, and he got choked up when he tried to describe how humbled he was and what God has done in his life. Can't wait to get back to Ukraine and, 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 and do some more of his missions work. Two of his brothers are full-time missionaries overseas. These, this, this family has never gotten over what Jesus did for them. But some of you have. Some of us have. should put it that way. So I want to do the word this morning. In these last few minutes. For those of you who have received Jesus and you remember it. Just like your wedding. You remember the day. You remember what happened. 
I want you to remember back when you welcomed Christ into your life. Just as you're sitting there right now, I want you to remember when that happened to you. When the dreaded weight of your sin and the delightful weightness, weightlessness of freedom through the cross work of Christ came to you. I want you to remember the tears. I want you to remember the joy. And I want you to do something crazy this morning. Right there where you said, I want you to thank Him. I want you to practice this overabounding explosion of thanksgiving right there where you sit. I want you to pray right now and talk to Him. I want you to remember that joy. I want you to thank. I want you to remember until you abound and overflow with this thanksgiving right there in your seat. And that's not too much to ask. So right now, I want you to be remembering that in your mind. And I want the joy of the Lord to bubble over. And you just can't believe that God would do that for you. But there's some other people that are here today. And you're not a second-class citizen. Not by any shot. But when I sit there and say, remember the day that you welcomed Jesus into your life, you can't, you can't remember. And I want to tell you the truth. The reason you can't remember is because it hasn't happened yet. If it has happened, you will remember. You can't, you can't help it. So here's the good news for you that don't remember. I want to give you an open invitation to invite the living Christ who will rescue you from your sins and who is the Lord, the master over everything in your life. I want you to welcome him right now into your life. You say, what's that look like, preacher? Well, first thing is you admit that you haven't ever really done that. You don't have any memory of that. You admit that you got a sin problem and you can't fix it. But that God sent his sinless son in your place. And you say, Father, I have sinned, but Jesus didn't. And he died in my place and took my sins. And right now, right here, even as the preacher's speaking, I welcome Jesus and everything that he is. I welcome him into my life. I, am, I take Jesus. I take him. And he is my Savior. He's my Rescuer. He's my Lord. And he is my Messiah. Right now, I want you to just tell him that. Right where you're sitting. And don't wait and don't put it up. This is heaven and hell serious. This will change not just this life. It will change your eternity. Do it now. The whole, You say, I don't know what that thing is inside of me. I'm, I'm nervous. I don't like you talking. It's making me nervous. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's not going to, he's saying, hey, that man's telling you the truth. And I'm trying to talk to you. Open your ears. Better than that, open your heart. Admit your sin. Seek that forgiveness. And welcome Jesus into your life right now. That's the response. And here's the good news. Don't even listen to me. Just do it. And once it's done, I know what's going to happen. Several things are going to happen. They're all amazing. But one of the things here in the not-too-distant future is you're going to call me. You're going to get in touch with me and say, I don't know. I did that thing you said, and God really put it on me. And wow. But you know, what should I do now? And I'm going to walk you through the next steps. And it's beautiful. But you got Jesus. You got everything you need. And there's some obedience things that are in the Bible, not made up. And we'll walk them through, and you're going to enjoy new life in Christ. So I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, they can, uh, Courtney and Joseph come up. We're going to sing a song. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so quick to forget. These poor Colossian believers, they were being in, in danger of being tricked. But you sent Paul to remind them. That when they have you, they got it all. They don't, they don't need anything. They don't need what those people were offering. 
that, that all the mystery and all of the power and all of the, all of the acceptance is in Jesus. And we don't need anything but Him. Because of that, when they welcomed Jesus into their life, Jesus rooted them in Himself, rooted them in His Word. He built them up with other, the fellowship of other Christians, line by line and stone by stone, and He knit their hearts together in love. Paul was reminding them of that. And then He attested to the veracity, to the truthfulness of their conversion by showing up in their life and helping them make decisions they would never make on their own before Christ. And as a result of that, these people were overflowing, spewing over the banks of their soul in thanksgiving to God. Their, tear, their eyes were often moist, and the prayer of thanksgiving was constantly on their lips. Lord, may that be us. May we never get over our salvation and what has been done to and for us for the glory of your name. And Lord, there's a whole group of people in here this morning. I don't want any one of these people to think they're the only one because they're not. There's a whole group of people in here this morning that when I ask that question, can you remember, can you see the snapshot of when you received Jesus, when you took Jesus for yours and he took you for his? They couldn't really remember. And Lord, I just sense and believe that as this word has gone out clearly that some of them have actually received Jesus, have taken him as their own, and he has taken them in return. And I want to praise you for that. I pray that you would give them the courage to tell me that we will be able to walk the next steps with them for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us? I thought the most appropriate song to respond to today is this song called The Solid Rock. What are we standing on? We're standing on Christ, and He is the solid rock. And all other ground, Corinthian heresy, uh, all other ground, Colossian heresy, that's sinking sand, but Jesus is the rock. Amen? Let us sing that, and let us rejoice and overabound in Thanksgiving this morning. My hope is built. Here we go.
When you have Jesus, whether you're a Colossian or a Wildwoodian or a Maconite or a Robertite, when you have Jesus, you have it all. Don't go chasing anything else. Rooted in Him. Built up in Him. Attested and established and overflowing with thanksgiving. Take that with you this week. Let's sing that doxology this morning.